I'm Pastor Mark, and I'm excited to be here. Uh, I was working it out uh, 10 years. That's 52 uh, uh, Sundays a year. That's, you know, 520 Sundays over 10 years and about 1,500 worship gatherings uh, that, that we have had together. That's that's a long time, and that's a lot of worship gatherings, and that's a lot of just uh, cool stuff. And, and today, we get to celebrate uh, together, but we also want to continue to honor our Lent journey and uh, fierce landscapes. So I'm going to talk a little bit um, in Exodus chapter 32 today, and, and then the band's going to come back. We're going to watch some videos and and things like that, just kind of remembering some things uh, from the past. And then I'm going to come back up and just share some closing thoughts on some uh, things that I've lost, learned, and lost over the past 10 years. So uh, uh, good stuff. Now, when I was preparing, Eric Case uh, really did the whole arc of this uh, series uh, through Exodus. If you don't know, Pastor Eric has been studying uh, Exodus quite a bit. So I found it interesting when he gave me the scripture I was teaching on on our 10th anniversary that uh, the people are rebelling and uh, worshiping calves and things like that. I'm like, oh, great 10-year anniversary uh, scripture to, to go off of, but there's a lot of good stuff in here, and I'm excited about it. So if you open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32, uh, we're going to be picking up uh, a little after where Pastor Dan left off last week, uh, where they got the, the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Now, Moses has gone up Mount Sinai uh, for 40 days, and this is where the story picks up. So when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses. I think it's kind of funny, like this fellow Moses, whoever he is, who brought us out of this land of Egypt. So Aaron said, Take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and the sons of your daughter, sons and daughters, bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. And Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it in the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, tomorrow we'll have a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. I love that, pagan revelry. It makes your imagination just go wild. You guys pray with me. Dear God, just, um, just thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to be a church for 10 years. So many things have happened over the past 10 years. God, I just pray as we open up your word today that uh, we won't be just reading ancient texts, but we will uh, find things in here that can directly impact our lives and and give us the tools to relentlessly follow you and to make this world uh, uh, more of your vision of your kingdom come. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So there's so much going on in, in this, this small uh, section of Scripture. Uh, number one, you have uh, Moses up in Mount Sinai. Now, you know, the people are kind of freaking out. He's been up there, you know, around 40 days and everything. And a lot of scholars believe that Moses, as their leader, had not actually been away from them overnight before this date. There, at least uh, Scripture doesn't indicate if that was the case or not. Also, it never indicates if he told them how long he was going to be away. So you have the people of Israel who are at the bottom of this mountain, and, and their leader Moses is gone, and they're just kind of wondering, like, what is going on? And they start to get nervous. They start to doubt God's calling on their life. They start to doubt Moses' leadership. They start to doubt if God is really there. So in their doubt, they decide, hey, you know what? Hey, Aaron, you know, make us a God that we can see. So what does Aaron do? Well, he, he produces a God that they're all very familiar with. They're uh, from Egypt. And they're, they had spent multiple generations, hundreds of years in Egypt. And one of the main gods uh, in, in Egypt and I'm, is, is uh, bulls and calves. So that's what he does, that he, he erects this golden calf, and they're all excited about it. And you can imagine Aaron, you know, uh, as an artist, you know, he'd, he'd made some other things and everything. And, and those of you who are artists, when your art's resonating with somebody, you know, it's, it's exciting. And, and he's like, oh, okay, cool, this is all going on. So what he does is he puts an altar in front of the calf. Now, there's something really significant going on here, and it speaks right into the doubt that the people were having. And one thing that the people of Israel, and, and quite honestly, you and I may have a hard time with sometimes as well, in that we follow an invisible God. Like we don't have calves or idols that, that we hold in front of us. So they wanted something tangible. And, and, and them, like us, a lot of times when we have doubt, and when we are, are worried or, or are unsure of the, the road forward, if there's a path forward for us, that we fall back into known habits or, or known things. You know, for some of us, uh, you know, that can be food, you know, that, uh, or for some of us, that, that can be old work habits or, or relational kind of patterns that we fall back into. For some of us, you know, that, that, you know, that could be going back to church or going back to, to uh, abusing substances or things like that because, you know, a lot of times we find comfort in those things that not, not that they, we know that they're good for us, but we, they're familiar to us and we get some comfort out of it. So they're there in the middle of the desert. Their leader is gone. And so they're like, hey, you know what? Let's, let's have something that's familiar, some of the comforts of home. You know, that's why, you know, when you're traveling internationally, you know, there's people like myself who would never eat McDonald's in America. But, uh, you know, after being in Guatemala for a week, you know, my kids and I in the airport, we saw McDonald's and we're like, McDonald's, you know, and we went in and we ate McDonald's. And it's just not that I thought it was good for me, 
You know, not that I thought, you know, this is going to help me achieve any, you know, athletic goals or fitness goals or anything. It was just, it was just, hey, a touch of comfort uh, after being out of the country. And that's, that's very, very common that we do with our, you know, in our, in our humanness. Now, the other thing that's really interesting is that uh, after he saw how excited they were, he built an altar in front of it. And this goes to their doubt, if God could actually see them and is going to take care of, their, of, of them and fulfill His promises. Because by putting the, the, the altar in front of the golden calf in this physical idol, that there was a direct connection of their sacrifice to God, their God's approval. And, and for many times, you know, that, that in the Christian faith, that, that there's this completely separa- uh, complete separation. In fact, even uh, in, you know, the precursor to the Christian faith, Judaism, that when they built the temple in Jerusalem, that, that the Holy of Holies, there was no direct line of sight to the, uh, to the altar where they would give their sacrifices. And the impact of this was saying that, hey, we trust that God is seeing what we're doing. That, that our God doesn't have to be physically present to understand when we are being faithful with our time or resources or with our bodies or things like that. Now, the other thing that, that's going on here is this also this falling back into pagan revelry. Now, after reading a lot of different commentaries and different uh, thoughts on it, it, it was interesting to me how many uh, uh, more traditional uh, common, uh, people, uh, commentary people, I don't know, what do you call commentary people? I probably know, but I don't know. People write commentaries. Uh, that they went over extraordinary lengths to, to uh, make it seem like, you know, there really wasn't that much going on. Some, you know, argue that, you know, their, their, their drinking uh, was non-alcoholic and, and some of their pagan revelry uh, had no sexual overtones. Now, I don't know how much pagan revelry you've engaged in. But, uh, you know, pagan revelry is, is usually pretty much wrapped around, you know, uh, you know gluttony and, and, and mass amounts of alcohol and sex. And, and really, at least in my mind, that, you know, pagan revelry and everything, they're falling back into all of this. Now, the interesting thing to me is that they went through so much great lengths that to say, hey, they weren't you know, getting drunk and they weren't having orgies and all of this kind of stuff, and almost minimizing that they're worshiping a golden calf, right? That, that is like, you know, oh, yeah, you know, that, that's that one thing. But, they, you know, they didn't engage in, in this other stuff. But the reality is that we do this all the time, that we, we do it in, in our lives, that we, we erect these golden calves uh, in our life. Now, David talked about it in this way in Psalm uh, chapter uh, 106 in verse 19. He said, The people made a calf at Mount Sinai. They bowed before an image made of gold. In verse 20, I love this. Listen to this. They traded their glorious God for a statue of a grass-eating bull. 
They forgot God, their Savior, who had done such great things in Egypt, such wonderful things in the land of Ham. I didn't write it, it's just funny to me. Such awesome deeds at the Red Sea. And let me propose this to you for our lives, that doubt seldom manifests itself as a nagging question, but rather an action taken to achieve control or solace. We definitely start with the question, is God real? Does God care? Is, is God in control and things like that? But we very seldom stay there. At least this is my experience. That we actually move into a tangible doubt. Things like God promises that if we spend time with Him in prayer and, and reading in His Word and, and in His community, that, that we will find peace that transcends all understanding. But so many of us, myself included, when I have a hard day where I'm having anxiety and worry and things like that, that you know what, I'll, mind, I'll, I'll, I'll give myself to mindless channel surfing or YouTube clicking or, or something like that. And what we're really doing there essentially is trading time with our glorious God for a grass-eating bull. That's what, that's what we're doing, that we, we doubt that if we actually spent time with other followers of Christ on, you know, on the phone or, or in person over a cup of coffee, we doubt if we were in Scripture and we doubt if we were in prayer, would, would bring us that peace that transcends all understanding. So we trade that for mindlessly watching television. Now, there's nothing wrong with watching television, but there is, our actions do communicate something about our, uh, it's a state, actions are a statement of our belief. How about this one? When we desperately seek power or position or other people's adoration rather than having a right relationship with God and people. And when we do that, essentially we're trading our identity, what God thinks of us and who we are in Christ, that we trade our identity from a glorious God for accolades from a grass-eating bull. One more. When we, we, try, we don't trust God with, with our, our time or our talents or our, our money, that we hold on and we try to control our time or we, we hold on to our gifting or we hold on and we don't invest in kingdom-building activities, that we are essentially that we are trading, we are trading our, our, um, our time and our, and, and our trust in God, that, that God will provide all of our needs for a grass-eating bull. And we wonder why we, we end up in these, these patterns of, of just these shallow lives and we don't 
ever really experience the, the life that God has envisioned for us. And it, it really comes down to, you know, doubt, and, 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 and doubt is really trust. You know, and we all have very different variations on how we enter into a relationship. Some of us, when we enter into a relationship, and it's not black and white, it's, it's, it's gray, but, but for the purposes of just, you know, talking about it, for some of us, our default mode when we enter, meet somebody new, or we engage uh, with a new organization is to trust until they prove us other, prove otherwise, right? Anybody like that? It's like, you know what, I'm... I'm just going to trust that you guys, you are who you present yourself to be, and and other people, you know, they 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 go in and they're like, you know what, I've been burned so many times, I'm not going to trust anything until you prove. You know, that's another way to do it. Ronald Reagan used to say, trust but verify, which isn't really trust at all, but 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 that's okay. You know, it's a clever political way of saying I don't trust you. Uh, uh, so. You know, this whole idea of trust, in fact, I, I had the opportunity to teach um, a class. I was invited uh, to teach a class at FSU in their social entrepreneurship uh, program this week. And uh, Sam, actually, the, uh, the director of the, of the program, is that your proper title? Close enough? Close enough. So the head honcho, the jefe. Uh, El Jefe, uh, you know, he said that the, the students were having difficulty grasping the idea of a business plan. I was like, okay, so um, thought I'd come in and maybe take it from a different angle. So I came in there uh, with really two words in, my, in mind um, that, that uh, was the purpose of a business plan. Now, because I'm a seasoned pastor, I was able to take those two words and stretch it out for an hour and a half. That's one of the talents that I have. And, uh, but, but the purpose of a business plan is quite simply, to me at least, that it, at its core is to build trust. And do, do have, you know, as, as a potent, you know, you're giving somebody a business plan, have you given the thought through this organization on how it's going to be sustainable and things like that, and why should I entrust you with resources to, to go forward? And with you know, and when they're presenting it to potential investors, employees, and even themselves to trust themselves that they have a solid plan. And this is why, at least I believe, it's important that they come up with a business plan. Now. Trust with God goes two ways, because your relationship with God is just that. And there's, it's not just do you trust God, but also we have an element of, of God trusting in us. And, and um, one thing it, that is a beautiful kind of story about, about this building of trust is told by Jesus in Matthew 25, where he's talking about the parable of the talents, Right? You guys know that story where Jesus uh, tells a story that says the kingdom of God is going to be like this, and us being the kingdom of God, that, that he's going to entrust us with things. And he said he brought together three servants. To the first servant, he gave five bags of silver. To the next servant, he gave two bags of silver. And then the third servant, he gave one bag of silver. And then the master went away. He said, but I'm going to come back. 
and I'm going to want to return on investment on this, on what I've entrusted to. So, the, so he came back, and if you know the story, the first servant took that five, uh, the, the, the five bags of silver and made what? Ten bags of silver. And, and the next servant who had two bags of silver made it into four bags of silver. There you go. You guys are doing great. So, um, and then the, the servant who was entrusted with one bag of silver got, uh, came back and gave him one bag of silver. And why? He was scared. He was scared that, 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 you know, he said that, hey, master, I know you're a harsh man and this and that. And so what did the master do? He said, you know what? Take that away from, from that servant and give it to the servant who, who made the five into a ten. Because with those who are faithful with a little, more will be given. Now, I did a variation of this. Uh, the FSU students didn't know what I was doing, but the F- uh, I did a variation. I came, I came into the class with some cash money in my pocket and, and talked to them, and I actually entrusted five whole dollars to one of, one of the students. And, and I said, hey, you know what? I trust that with my five dollars that you can take that five dollars and, and you can do more good in the world because of your energy and your intellect than I can do with this $5. So I said, I'm going to come back at some time, and I'm going to want to hear what you did with that $5. Now, it's not a lot of money, so I'm not expecting, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, I, you know I just, I'm just wondering, what, you, know, if, you know, and if I come back and he says, you know what I did with that $5? I went to Red Eye Coffee, and I, and I, and I bought a, a nice cup of coffee. And I'm like, okay, you know, hey, you know what we say, you know, when you, every time you buy a red-eye product, product, you're making the world a better place. So, okay, okay, you know, that's fine. Um, you know, if he just hands me back the $5, I'll be like, eh, okay. You know, if he says, oh, you know, I went to Starbucks and bought a cup of coffee, I'd just punch him in the face, you know. Uh, I won't really, but not until after class. Uh, it, but but here but here's the thing from from my from my my standpoint as someone who entrusted somebody with with that five dollars that that we began a very small relationship there. And when I come back, if he if he says, you know what, Mark, I you know took that five dollars and I I was able to make the world a better place by this small, you know, this small margin. But I took that seriously. And you know what? When I was doing that, I came up with, you know, I had this interaction with this other person, and, and I got this bigger idea. And, and this is a $100 idea or a $1,000 idea, idea. Do you think you can come alongside me and, and, and make that happen? I'd be like, you know what? I, could, I would honestly, I would do everything I could to make, make that a reality for him. But if he came back and said, you know what? Here's your $5 back. It was just too much. I just didn't want to do it. And, if he, and he came back, you know, a week later and said, hey, I have a $1,000 idea. I'd say, but you couldn't be faithful with the $5 idea. Why, why should I entrust you with $1,000? And this is the idea of, uh, in, a, in a monetary sense, of, of building trust that, that, you know what, 
do we trust God? Has God, God been faithful with His promises? Can God be faithful with, or, or can God uh, fulfill His promises to us? And have we allowed Him to be faithful? And I think that this is the core question that each and every one of us struggle with. As people of faith, that, that all of these golden calves are, are, are out there. That when we have anxiety, when we're, you know, when we're scared, you know, do we fall back into old patterns? When we're depressed, do we, you know, fall into a self-destructive pattern, you know, of, of you know, grabbing a, a, a gallon thing of ice cream and watching Oprah, you know, a marathon of Oprah or something like that? Or do we, or do we say, you know what, I trust that, you know what, God? If I spend time in prayer and with your word and that I, and I'm engaging in healthy relationships that that I will be able to experience a peace that transcends understanding. That God, I believe if I'm faithful with what you entrust me with that that you know what? I will live a life of of significance and not just a life of accumulating stuff. And these are the these are the real life questions that you and I have to struggle with on a daily basis. And what I would hope is like after today that, that we can actually look at some of our, our patterns, some of our, our uh, tangible doubts, and do the hard work of stripping those away and say, why do I behave that way? Why, why do I hold on to, in this area? Why do I overly indulge in these areas? How come when this happens, I turn to this? And why don't I turn to God? Why do I continually go back and erect a golden calf when I have a glorious God? Now, the beauty of this story continues, and I want to conclude on this in Exodus chapter 33. And there's a couple of things that I just, it's so beautiful as far as just kind of uh, bringing full circle the relationship that we are offered from God. In Exodus 33, and starting in verse 12, one day Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me I know you by name. And I look favorably on you. If it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Have you ever just said, God, I have all these questions, and if you just tell me what to do, I'll do it. You're my Lord. I, I, I've settled that issue. So what's with all the mystery? Just tell me what to do. And he even throws in a section after that. And remember that this nation is your very own people. Now, there's some really important kind of questions here for us and, and what's going on with Moses. Moses is asking this relational question, Right? If I go to the promised land, who is going to go with me? 
You know, you've said, I'm going to send you to a, a, a land of milk and honey. But who is going to go with me? And the Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. So he didn't tell him what to do, but he told him that he was going to be with him. And then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. And this is probably one of the greatest statements of faith in God in all of Scripture. If you don't go personally, go with us, don't make us leave this place. What place is Moses in? The desert. Where is he talking about going? The promised land, the land of milk and honey. And he's saying, look, you know what? I'd rather be in the desert with the tumbleweeds and the baking sun and the scorpions. Scorpions. That's the international symbol of scorpion. With the scorpions. You ever had a scorpion crawl on you? Yeah, that's terrible. But that Moses says, I'd rather have God and scorpions. I want, to have a, I want you to be with me than milk and honey and a grass-eating bull. And I wonder if we could say that. We should be able to say that, right? I should be able to say that. But the reality is that so often the grass-eating bull speaks something into our hearts, or, or at least it gives us some sort of comfort. And what Moses is doing here is making this profound statement of faith that he would rather have the sun and the tumbleweeds and the scorpions and be in the presence of God than the milk and honey and to him not be there. And it, it really, that, that's a sacred echo of what we talked about in the six symbols of the gospel and, and, and the idea of, you know what? If you could have everything you ever wanted in life uh, in, in heaven, but God wasn't there, would you still want to go? Or would you want the scorpions and tumbleweeds and baking sun in God? And this is at the very core of our faith. He continues on and says, How will anyone know that you look favorable on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people apart, me apart from all other people on earth. And I want to conclude with that because we, as followers of Christ, we as people of the, of the gospel, that that is the thing that separates us from everybody else. It's not our t-shirts, it's not our cars, it's not our prosperity, it's not our homes, it's, it's, not, it's none of that. What sets us truly apart is that God has chosen to be our God and we have chosen for Him to be our God in a relationship together where we'd rather be in the desert than apart in the promised land. You guys pay